Hello and welcome to the Exploring Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Nicholas Krim. And on this show, I sit down with leaders in healthcare to discuss the ideas, the strategies, and the companies that are shaping the future of healthcare. And on this episode, I sit down with Sydney Hadoff, who is the CEO and co-founder of Michi.co, where they're building a consumer marketplace designed to deliver pricing transparency for a number of healthcare services. I enjoyed learning more about Sydney's background in the healthcare space, his motivation for starting Michi, and uh, I hope that you enjoyed this conversation as well. Sydney, thanks for coming on the show. Sure. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right. So I want to start here. Uh, your, your LinkedIn tagline says bringing healing to our healthcare system. And uh, I was hoping you could tell me more uh, about that and what your, what your personal mission is. Sure. So our healthcare system leaves a lot of people in a lot of pain. Uh, you know, healthcare, do you think people are supposed to get the benefit of, of cure, getting cured and, and remedies to their illnesses and conditions and I, I think our country is particularly good at solving people's clinical issues, but uh, in, in most cases, frankly, not all, but uh, where we do fall short, um, you know, incredibly short is uh, the, the financial aspect. People are left with these massive bills. And there's some study, there's one study, Harvard study that says that 60%, over 60% of bankruptcies are attributed to uh, medical bills, uh, another, uh, I think Northwestern study says that you know, over 20%, they might be over 25% of uh, bankruptcies are influenced by specifically out-of-pocket costs. And so you know, a lot of people, although they might get the care that they need, they're left in dire straits when it comes to their financial situation, and it shouldn't be that way. Um, so we're, we're hoping to bring healing, not, not just to the consumers, but the providers also who are you know, being squeezed and you know, 40% of providers uh, uh, experience burnout. And it, again, doesn't have to be that way. I, I see there being one major cause uh, you know, of, of a lot of that pain and, and that being the insurance construct. Uh, insurance companies make a lot of money and they seem to be the only ones who aren't complaining about the, the current status of, of the industry. Uh, with their executives making money hand over fist, millions of dollars in compensation. And look, we live in a capitalist, capitalist society. Um, I, I'm not one to be against uh, you know, profits, but when you tie profits directly to people's well-being and care, I think it creates adverse incentives. And so we're, we're trying to, to uh, kind of do what we can to bring some healing to that uh, situation. Uh, we're, we're, we built a, a marketplace that, that allows people to access care outside of that construct and outside of that system. And so we're hoping to, to bring healing to both consumers and providers outside of that system with the marketplace. And, and uh, yeah, we're, we're excited about it. Uh, the, the, the reason or part of the reason uh, we say we're bringing healing to healthcare is, is Mishi is actually short for Misha Bayrock. It's a prayer for healing. And, and again, we're, we're trying to bring healing to our healthcare system. And, and that's, you know, at our core, uh, you know, the, our mission and, and uh, our North Star. Appreciate you sharing that. And uh, I definitely do want to talk about Mishi and what you're building there. Um, but I thought it would be helpful to, to go back and talk about maybe your, your childhood years and also uh, your work prior to founding Michigan, because I think it gives some good context to how you're 
tackling the problem. But uh, so I read your dad owned a medical billing company and you started working there at a young age. And I was curious, uh, you know, what that experience taught you and how it's shaped your thinking. He did. Uh, he did own a, a medical billing company and, and I did grow up working there and, and different stints right? as far back as you know, seven tearing edges off of HICFA for paper HICFA forms back in the day and uh, you know helping out where I could I was seven so I couldn't really help too much but uh, it taught me work ethic I, I learned to appreciate and and value in going into work and and being productive and and helping um, you know and in, in his uh, in his industry or in, in his function he helped providers you know, manage their revenue cycle and, and manage the process by which they're reimbursed by providers for the services that they render. That's that's the medical billing and really the revenue cycle uh, management field. Um, and yeah, it, it taught me at a young age that I wanted to be a business owner, an entrepreneur, and and I, I wanted to help people. And, and uh, it got me accustomed to working. I feel like I've worked at least 20 hours for the last 50, 20 hours a week, sorry, for the last 15 years since I was 16. Um, so just something that you grow accustomed to over time. And, and I appreciate that because I think it's important. Uh, and um, I'm happy and, and grateful to have experienced that and, and gotten uh, uh, some insights into the industry and, and an introduction into the industry that uh, I'm not sure that I would have, uh, you know, without um, my dad kind of being in that that role yeah was that your uh earliest memory of being ex obviously being exposed to the medical world and medical billing and just the whole business side of of the healthcare system yeah i, I had no idea what he did frankly that early on uh, it wasn't until i started um, my, an internship uh, after uh, pleads from him to to uh check what he had going on out and, and come work for him. And, and it wasn't until then that I really kind of understood the process and the value that the revenue cycle industry brings to providers and, and the, the reason why it's so needed in the industry and, and the mess that is our insurance reimbursement system. Um, so yeah, in the beginning, I had no idea what it was, but you know, soon after joining that internship and and going through the various cycles or various stages of the revenue cycle and really kind of getting a forest from the tree perspective of the revenue cycle and again, you know, physician reimbursement and contracting and compliance and informatics and you know all of practice management, all of it, um, it gives gave me a, a kind of a good picture of of an understanding of why things were the way and are the way that they are. Um, and I think it, it set me up to, it set me up for the, for the idea for the bringing the free market to healthcare and, and uh, you know, ultimately the, the idea for Michi. Yeah. Tell me more about, um, you know, you mentioned after graduation working in some different roles where you're focused on the business side, the revenue cycles of, of physician offices. You know, what's the biggest things that you learned from that? Or maybe what was the most surprising thing that you learned about how that whole system works? Yeah, I would say the most surprising thing was the difference between, and, and it's a relatively specific uh, concept, but the, the 
excuse me, the discrepancy between the the build charge, the list price, the MSRP, the the full fee, you know, all kind of used interchangeably. The difference between or discrepancy between that price and the contracted rate or the negotiated rate or the discounted rate uh, also used interchangeably. Um, Massive swing. Uh, The the contracted rate in in some instances representing 10%, let's say, of the build charge. And there's no reason for that. And uh, we, we kind of specialized in maximizing reimbursement uh, you know, and, and navigating the reasons for the difference between those rates and, and the different um, uh, kind of rate values that one could uh, yield and, and kind of gain from the system on behalf of providers. But uh, I would say that that was the biggest, biggest eye opener is, you know, why do the people without insurance coverage have to pay uh, a lot more than people with insurance coverage. And obviously it makes sense, you know, that you're paying premiums you, to get the benefit of the discounted rate. But then it also kind of led me to think, okay, there are a lot of people that don't really even use their benefit. And so if this rate is the true cost of care and they think that they're buying in to get that true cost and, they don't, and, and it's just a matter of information and just having access to what, you know, that those rates should be and those prices should be, then I'm sure there's got to be a good number of people who would feel that they'd be just as good without insurance, you know, whether they're healthy or they don't have the, the means or the resources to, you know, pay the, the increasing, ever increasing uh, insurance premium. So uh, that, I would say, it, it, it comes down to the, the, the price and, and, you know, the, the, the crazy swing. Uh, and, and discrepancy between the two. So is there a difference in the, when you looked at the pricing and that discrepancy between prices on the physician side, comparing that to what we're seeing on the hospital side, what we're finding on the hospital side is that actually a lot of those contracted rates from the insurance carrier that they're supposed to be getting, you know, the best price and the lowest discounts is actually sometimes two to 300% above the cash price. Um, so are you saying that that, that was actually flipped what you saw on the physician side side is actually that out-of-pocket price was much higher than the contracted rate no so so thank you for for clarifying that so i'm saying that the build charge that full fee is what you'd see on a surprise bill gotcha and so what, what we're seeing on the hospital um you know those discounted rates and that what we see in those hospital machine readable forms is the discounted the contracted rate the insurance rate if you will and that is the rate that I said that, that I saw was considerably less than the full fee, you know, the, the surprise bill, if you will. Gotcha. Um, and it, what, what has kind of come to light for people now is that the cash price is even less than the contracted rate. And so when you think about it in tiers, you got the, the list price and you got the insurance rate, and then you have the cash price at the bottom and the cash price is really that true cost. It's, it's, it's wild, the, the, also the discrepancy between certain contracted rates, certain insurance rates you know, uh, for a given service. Um, but uh, you know, there, there are reasons also for that. You know, market, market dynamics uh, for different plans dictate reimbursement. And if you're a name brand hospital, then you're definitely able to, to negotiate and have the leverage to demand a much higher reimbursement for a given uh, uh, procedure. 
And you know, depending on the size of the plan and, and their leverage, they could have a, a much juicier or valuable rate for, for them, for the provider, um, than uh, you know, maybe a smaller plan. Um, but at the end of the day, the, the cash price is the real price, is, is really what you know, that, that lower bound of what a, a facility or a provider is willing to accept for any given service. And from what I've seen and, and, and lived, uh, you know, helping thousands of providers you know, navigate revenue cycle and, and helping them craft cash price uh, fee schedules for the services that they offer to market to people who uh, you know, don't have insurance or might not want to go through their insurance. What I learned there is, is that a lot of providers are willing and, and happy to pass along the cost savings uh, from not having to go through the billing process, that revenue cycle process. They, they pass that savings on to the patient and uh, you know it, it alleviates the pressure from the provider. They, there's no uncertainty. They know what they're going to get paid. They don't have to pay the upwards of 30 plus percent uh, against each dollar uh, you know, of revenue for that billing. And it improves the, the provider-patient, provider-consumer relationship because you know, everyone kind of knows what is at stake, you know, what, what the price is going to be, what, what is in, included in the care. And there are no questions and, and no additional costs, no additional fees. It's just very straightforward, as it is in any other industry that, you know, where, where we see uh, commerce on the level that we do with healthcare. Um, so, yeah, it, it, the, the, the interesting thing to me with the hospital prices is the fact that I, th I think a lot of the variation that we see uh, you know, from plan to plan with the hospital prices isn't so um, significant when you look at it for individual independent private practices. You know, the hospitals being hospital and health systems being these large institutions that, uh, you know, again, in, in different markets or, or with different benefit uh, sizes of beneficiaries, they could demand that the, the hospitals could demand or, or uh, negotiate better rates or not. I, I think that there's a little bit less of an ability for the private practices, the smaller guys to be able to do that. And so you see less of a swing. Uh, and But from my perspective, it, it makes that cash price all the more straightforward. And, uh, and frankly, in, in most instances, I think we would see that the independent doc who likely could be just as good, if not better than the docs that you go see at one of those name brand facilities, um, you know, their, their costs and their discounted, or excuse me, their cash price is even less. Yeah, I appreciate you clarifying that so that you got the list price or the build price, contracted price, and then the cash price. Um, yeah, it's interesting what you bring up about providers wanting to avoid the reimbursement process I ran across uh, several months ago, a company um, came out of Y Combinator that offers uh, a platform and, and an API to help with that reimbursement process to make it easier actually to help the provider more accurately understand the reimbursement uh, that this patient would qualify for under their plan. And it opened my eyes to just small little errors in paperwork um, can really um, can really throw off that entire process and for the providers hold up a bunch of money that is that is due to them which really affects their their cash flow so interesting yeah that, that that's the industry i come from that that was our bread and butter is is helping providers and, and patients but really providers understand what's required uh of what's required to get paid and I think the, the process, the reimbursement process has been the managed care system 
has been perverted over time. You know, the, it started off with, hey, we want to make sure that you're utilizing conservative conservative modalities before going uh, uh, and, and spending money on the more invasive procedures. But I think what it turned into is, hey, we're going to add in all these hoops that you have to go through to get paid, put it under the guise of managed care and keeping you from making adverse you know, uh, um, selections, even though that doesn't make sense because most people are, are um, get care because their providers tell them to or they're referred to care based on you know the provider who acts as their counselor uh but you know they, it has created this massive you know 100 billion dollar industry in the revenue cycle space that uh you know is is the one that i am from you know, that people say medical billing it's revenue cycle revenue cycle medical billing is one of the same i think the medical billing term is uh, very limited because you know, sending bills out is just one very small fraction of the revenue cycle uh, that you know, when you think about a billing company, when people refer to billing companies, they're referring to rev, rev cycle uh, you know, shops. So yeah. I wanted to ask you about uh, Dr. Keith Smith, Smith of the Surgery Center of Oklahoma. I read where you ran across him preaching the free market gospel via Tumblr. What did his message, why did it impact you so much? Yeah, so I, I came across Dr. Smith, Keith Smith, and his his gospel, his his preachings, his articles, and he was very very consistent with them uh, back then. It was back in 2013. I had the idea for for a free market, uh, you know, online marketplace back in like 2012, end of 2012, and started, you know, looking to see if anyone else was thinking about that in that way. Um, in early 2013, and, and came across Dr. Smith, and only Dr. Smith. <laughs> he he was the only person on on the internet that I found, and I I tend to think I'm pretty good at finding you know uncovering things on the internet, especially back then. Um, he was the only one talking about you know this free market concept of the free market in in healthcare and and posting your prices and 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 posting the contracted rate and, and what your cash price should be putting that on your website they they put so he he put the the cash price for the ambulatory surgery center i think oklahoma uh center center for surgery uh, sorry dr smith um put put that on uh, put the cash prices on on the website and I was amazed because I thought that I was the only one and I, I wasn't upset. I was, I was happy because that meant that, okay, when, you know, when I uh, you know, finally do this thing that there will be, I'll have at least one person who, who will get the, understand the value. Um, you know, since then there has been a lot of uh, support for the free market and healthcare over the last you know, eight years. And it's been amazing to watch and, and now be a part of. Um, but it, the impact was that it, I didn't feel alone. And, you know, and everyone that I spoke to about the idea, people, you know, oh yeah, that's a great idea. It's going to be a huge, huge undertaking. Yeah. And, 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 you know, that's scary. And, and knowing the industry and, and being of coming from the industry and knowing what it would take to go against the, you know, the, the massive insurance companies, you know, some of the biggest companies in our, in our economy, frankly, um, you know, that seemed too big to fail. It was, it was a scary, uh, a scary idea. And it, and it, that's part of the reason why it took me so long to, to start down that path. But knowing 
even that there was just one person was was helpful. Um, so yeah, gave me a little bit of confidence. Was that the uh, was that kind of the push that you needed to to pull the trigger and actually start Mishi, or um, what ultimately caused you to to pull the trigger? Because it sounds like you were chewing on the idea for a while. Yeah, definitely, definitely chewing on it for the better part of a decade. Uh, I I have probably a novel's worth of notes that I've taken over the years. And, every, and it's funny, it spanned from uh, uh, my Apple notes to Evernote and then Evernote uh, transferred to Evernote to, to my Google uh, Docs and then from Google Docs to Trello. And so, you know, uh, and I mean, I'm serious, like hundreds of pages of notes. And it's interesting, you hear that you, uh, 10 hours of preparation is not as valuable as 10 minutes of action. And it's true. We've made more progress in the last you know, two years, 18 months, if you will, and, and six months of be, me being on this full time than I would have made in 30 years of planning. Um, so what the trigger was, um, I think I, I I think about this a lot. I think one of the one of the triggers was the support that I, I got from one of my co-founders um, who is, has since taken uh, a more passive role in a build, uh, while he uh, you know, raises his family. But uh, it was it was the support of, of Brett that really gave me that added confidence that, that I, I truly wasn't going to go through it alone. And, uh, and then we brought on Matt, another uh, uh, co-founder and uh, who's, who's still involved. And um, yeah, it, it, it's the team, I would say, it, that, that triggered it. It goes from being just a, an idea in your head to a real thing that, you know, a project that you all want to pursue. And that makes it a lot less scary. Um, so, you know, people talk about the team and, and the team being a huge piece of, of people's success and, and startup success. And I couldn't agree more. Um, without them, I, I don't know that, and I doubt that I would have started down the road and, and I appreciate them and their support and, and hope they know that. Yeah, so can you explain to us a little bit more about what you've built? Uh, you know, if I come on your platform, walk me through what the experience is like and, and what I can accomplish. Sure. So we built a marketplace that connects people with doctors based on transparent cash prices. So consumers could come onto our site, shop for care uh, services based on symptom, condition, specialty, provider name, service name. So if you type in stress, you'll yield uh, you know, search results and, and treatment that is associated with you know, treating stress. If you type in MRI, you will yield MRI results in your look, in your area. Uh, and you will see upfront the cash price for those services that treat the conditions or symptoms that you search. Uh, our goal is to bring price transparency to the forefront and, and make healthcare as similar to any other industry, consumer forward industry, uh, that you would think of and, and cut out the middleman. I, I think the, the goal is to build a marketplace you know, that, that you would think 
uh, or, or similar to a, a Grubhub of, of uh, food or delivery, a, an Etsy, or uh, frankly, even a Shopify, you know, where our, our long-term goal is to, to uh, uh, enable providers to kind of create their own digital stores, their digital front offices. Um, we, we help them do that now, but again, long-term, we want to kind of automate that process. Um, and yeah, the, the goal is to connect people to the true cost of care, that cash price, what we established earlier on in our conversation is, is the most affordable rate, that, that true rate that uh, doctors will accept for uh, care rendered. And it's just a matter of, of building out the network. You know, the, the, the value of any network comes with its size and size on, on both sides of the marketplace. And um, you know, we're, we're working to build out our, our roster of providers and roster of, of consumers. And, and we bring value to both sides of the marketplace. Consumers are able to access care at that you know, most affordable rate, which oftentimes is uh, less expensive than they would pay going through insurance. Um, and for providers, we help them avoid the, the expensive billing costs, which we discussed you know, being upwards of 30 plus percent of revenue. Um, and we also help you know, increase accessibility and, and visibility to services offered by you know, providers, local providers. People historically have had to rely on their insurance to you know, show them which doctors are available in their network, in their area. Now, you know, with the advent of the internet, Things have changed a bit, and, and people look to websites like HealthGrades or ZocDoc or Google or Yelp to see what what providers are available. But um, you know the the main piece missing there is is the pricing, and so we're providing uh, a resource and a way for people not only to search for care and, and search for it, frankly, in, in my opinion, in a, in a much more streamlined way than they can uh, for those uh, on those other websites, but search for care and actually see the price and and purchase the care upfront and, and lock in that rate and know that they're, you know, not going to get any surprise bill on the back end and know that, you know, they're not uh, you know, in violation of any insurance regulation because, you know, they're going on our platform and with, with our platform, we, uh, you know, people can't, and when we instruct our users not to file claims uh, for the care that they receive on the platform, um, and so that, that's what it allows us to avoid the regulatory and, and uh, insurance scrutiny behind, um, you know, having a cash price, marketing a cash price versus you know, what, you, what a provider would, would uh, bill on a claim form. But um, yeah, give, giving people an alternative and an easier way to access care uh, that, that frankly our generation, uh, millennial generation is, is more accustomed to that consumer centric marketplace uh, you know, mobile forward solution. That's wild that the cost of uh, running through the process of reimbursement and the billing can cost up to 30% of revenues. I, I had no idea, but that's truly eye-opening. Um, what's been the feedback from providers so far? Um, are they surprised that this exists? Are they um, hesitant to join? What's What's been the feedback? Providers, it's been relatively straightforward. They they have nothing to lose when it comes uh, down to to you know listing services. There are some who are hesitant because they don't want to post their cash prices because they think that uh, it'll be you know if, if they post theirs and the people next door post theirs, it'll be a race to the bottom. But um, I would say overall that that doesn't really deter them. I think it's an initial concern. But when you voice the fact that 
you know, this is the same type of dynamic that exists in any other industry and in that there are more factors at play than just price when consuming and, and making a, a, a consumption decision and a purchase decision, it, it starts to make sense for them. It, all we're doing is popularizing a trend that already exists. You know, a lot of, a lot of docs already have cash prices and, and they have private pay relationships, direct pay relationships with their consumers. Um, we're, we're, we're labeling it a slightly different name. We like the pay as you go healthcare model just because it's a little bit more descriptive and, and easier for people to understand right off the bat what we're marketing rather than you know the cash price or self-pay or direct pay or private pay um, which is has historically been used uh, in the market but uh, yeah provide we're, we're not doing anything that's so different from what they're accustomed to we're we're, we're giving them a new method of of doing something that they've done in an albeit limited way you know when i was in the on the revenue cycle side of the industry about five percent of any provider's revenue came from cash paying patients and so we see you know if if ten percent plus uh ten percent are uninsured uh ten percent of people in the country are uninsured then right off the bat, that's you know an extra five percent that they could potentially be gaining. Then when you take the into account that a lot of people who pay cash are have insurance, they just do, they know that they're going through their deductible might be a little bit more expensive. You know that's another seventy million people. So then it becomes thirty percent, and then that's a, a much bigger opportunity. Then when you add in the fact, and, and this is a you know, consumer study done by Adobe, frankly, I think it was an Adobe sponsored uh, study talking about the consumerization of healthcare shows that 60% of people under the age of 55 avoid care because of, uh, avoid treatment because of price concerns and uncertainty. And so when you alleviate that uncertainty with real prices, directly from providers and give people, you know, a, a consumer forward way of, of purchasing those, the, that care and, and communicating with their provider. Uh, it, it, the intention is, and, and from what we've seen, it opens up an entire new segment of the market. And so patients, people, consumers love it because, you know, the, a lot of the uncertainty that kept them from consuming care is gone. And the docs love it because you know, now we, we give people, we eliminate the, the, the BS and the, the billing process and the, the, the portion of, the, of healthcare commerce that makes people uncomfortable and, and uh, you know, jeopardizes the, the provider-patient, provider-consumer relationship. So it's been, the, the response has been positive on both ends. Uh, we've been taking relatively um, kind of very hyper-targeted approach so far as we uh, refine the, uh, the workflow and, and you know, onboarding and, and our messaging, um, but uh, we'll be coming out of the gate swinging pretty soon and, and looking to make good on, on a lot of the, the insights that we've gained and, and um, yeah, wanna bring savings and, and healing to as many people as, as possible through this offer. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. and. I think that peace of mind on the consumer side is so key because it didn't take very long after I graduated school and friends and family who also were kind of the same stage in life and getting off their parents' healthcare plan and for the first time receiving those bills for maybe unexpected 
medical procedures and, and sicknesses that came up. Uh, it didn't take long for people to start getting these massive bills and having to deal with that for the first time and saying, what, how do I even decipher this? Uh, I've never even received a bill. I've never even had that much money before, let alone now, you know, I'm getting a bill I'm required to pay this. Um, so I, I think that piece is, is key, being able to see a price, pay for it, move on, move on with your life. Um, can you tell me about Michi's uh, Fund the Care initiative? I thought that was pretty cool, but can you tell us more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So we uh, started this Fund the Care initiative. We're working towards uh, uh, attracting uh, donations to fund care that's offered on the platform. So essentially, you know, currently people rely on state programs and, and local government programs to access uh, certain types of, of clinical services uh, for free or at a, a discounted rate. Um, and a lot of people are left out, uh, left un, uh, ineligible. And, and a lot of people in the margins and in the gaps that you know, our entire model uh, uh, hopes to and intends to service. And so we're, we take that a step further, uh, you know, uh, outside of our profit generating model, we are um, looking to you know, raise uh, uh, donor funds and, and philanthropic funds to help fund care that's offered on the platform. One of the services that I'm most proud of uh, that we're working to fund with our Fund the Care Initiative are mammograms uh, and colonoscopies, but really specifically mammograms, you know, having so many uh, impactful and, and powerful, strong women in my life uh, that I uh, get to thank for uh, you know, the, becoming the man that I am today, hopefully a good guy, thanks God, ladies. But um, no, it, it really, I, I, it, it, I was getting a little emotional when we first posted the mammograms because it gives people access to care um, you know, that they might not have had. And, and knowing that, that we would be raising funds to help people access these services that could potentially identify, you know, cancer and and early enough to, you know, hopefully, you know, address it and, and fight it off and and uh, ensure, you know, livelihood and and uh, health for people. It just it's what it's all about for us. You know, we want to bring healing to the system, and and what better way to do that than to help the people who need it the most, people who who might not have the the ability to afford it, and. You know the people who are left in the margins by or left in the gaps by those uh, those government programs. You know maybe you might have uh, uh, you might not meet the income requirement for you know some free care or, or subsidized care, but you're still scared of the cost of a mammogram that you know because you don't know what it could cost you, and so you avoid the care altogether. Or maybe it's just out of your price range, even though you you might make x uh, uh, you know x salary. Your expenses could be you know, very similar, close to that, and you might not have the budget to, to pay for that. And so we're hoping to assist people, uh, you know, in, in those situations that are, again, left out and, and don't really have any means. That's an awesome program. Uh, just two more and then we'll, we'll call it a wrap. But um, what other individuals or companies have inspired you throughout your career and then now as an entrepreneur? Um, it's cliche, but, but Uber was, was a huge inspiration not just because you know it started the that type of you know categorical change in in different industries and and you know brought the kind of age of information into commerce 
and allowed and, and the age of tech into commerce and, and really decentralized uh, you know, the, the transportation industry. It wasn't just that. I mean, that was really cool and, and being able to kind of live through that while living in Manhattan when it first got released and, and seeing the, the evolution of it, uh, not only from a tech perspective, but from an adoption perspective. What really hit home for me was the impact that it had on the value of taxi medallions in New York. Uh, my grandfather was a taxi cab driver his whole life in Brooklyn. And um, he was fortunate enough to, to save up some money and, and purchase some medallions. And uh, my, my family, really my, my dad and, and his brother and sisters uh, and, and mom, my grandma, RIP to her uh, and to my grandfather. But uh, um, they had these medallions and, and that was you know, a source of support for them you know, over the years. Uh, then Uber came on the scene. And I was in, in college around that time. And, and I remember specifically kind of warning my dad about the impact that it was going to have on the value of those medallions. And early on when they were still, and, and they had just reached their, their highest value, you know, right around that time. And Uber came and I remember begging him to reconsider the, the long-term value. And uh, you know, a friend of mine, actually uh, one of my partners, <laughs> begging, like, you know, hey, th this isn't going away. This is this is a different type of change. You know, this is going to be the future. You know, please reconsider. And he held on, and now they're worth a, a micro fraction of what they were. And uh, so that, I don't want to say it. it, it I mean, the, the Uber inspired me. The, the model inspired me, but it was a warning. Um, and uh, I, I plan on doing the same in healthcare. And um, yeah, I think it has the opportunity to save a lot of, uh, help a lot of people. Uber helped a lot of people, even though now I think it's come full circle and it's been interesting to see the evolution and, and what it's turned into, maybe not such a good thing, but it, is, uh, it inspired a lot of, uh, of change in different industries that have helped a lot of people. and, and um, you know, we intend to do the same uh, in a somewhat similar way. Yeah, that's fascinating. And that whole taxi medallion, I remember reading about some of that last year. And that's just, that's a whole fascinating rabbit hole to go down and oh, yeah. that whole uh, business model. Um, what, uh, what book has had the greatest impact on your thinking? Have you recommended the most to others? Um, when it comes to... Healthcare. Well, there's a few. I would say the the one of the biggest concepts that I took away from from any book that I've read was the whole concept of getting the right people on the bus, and that comes from good to great. Hmm. Uh, I, I thought that was a you know powerful book about you know, what what makes companies uh, excel from you know their their status to you know, superstar status. And I think that my main takeaway there were you know plenty of other ones, but my main takeaway from that was getting the right people on the bus and then you find the right seats for them after they're on the bus. But it all comes down to the people. And I think that, uh, you know, it's very true in, in any, every aspect of, of business that I've gone through, it all comes down to the people, your, your ability to impact, um, you know, the, the systems at play and, and your growth and productivity, it all comes down to people. If you don't have the right people, if you don't have the right foundation, then you won't be able to take the bus anywhere uh, 
uh, you know, far. And so, um, yeah, it, it is um, kind of guided the way that I have cultivated relationships, not only in, in the, the business sense, but outside also, you know, it all comes down to who you, who you associate with and who you have in your circle. And if you get the right people on that bus, there, there isn't anything that you can't do. And so I, I would say that, uh, yeah, that, that was probably the, the biggest takeaway for me from that book. And, and one of the bigger ones that I've taken from any book. It's a good one. I like it. I like it. Well, Sydney, I really appreciate the time. I uh, appreciate you carving out an hour and have enjoyed you know, learning more about your background and, and what you're building at Michi. Um, if people want to check out the platform, where do they go? Michi.co, M-I-S-H-E dot C-O. Mobile optimized, browser-based. We will be converting to you know, native app, uh, iOS and, and Android relatively soon. But for now, it is pretty on the phone. So uh, feel free. M-I-S-H-E dot C-O. Okay. And then, um, awesome. Yeah, please go check it out, um, folks. And um, if people want to connect with you, if they have any questions about anything that you said or just want to connect, where's the best place for them to, to do that? Absolutely. I am, uh, my email is sydney at michy.co, S-I-D-N-E-Y at michy.co. Uh, I'm on Instagram at, uh, at sydney aster, S-I-D-N-E-Y-A-S-T-O-R. I'm on LinkedIn. If you just search Sydney, H-A-I-T-O-F-F, my last name, you'll find me. I don't think that there's anyone else with that name. Um, and on Twitter, uh, at Sydney Haytoff, again, S-I-D-N-E-Y-H-A-I-T-O-F-F. All right, awesome. I'll direct people there. Well, thanks again, Sydney, for the time. Thanks for having me, Nick. Take care. Well, that is it for this episode. If you're enjoying the show, I hope you'll tune into future conversations. I'll be posting those on my LinkedIn and my Twitter pages, both at Nicholas Krim. And as always, if you have any suggestions on future guests, you can send those to email at Nicholas, N-I-C-K-O-L-A-S-C.com. But until then and next time, have a great day.